This is a special edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast, a debate that took place on April 27, 2020, titled The Driverless New Normal, The Best of Times or The Toughest of Times. This is the Driverless New Normal debate, The Best of Times or The Toughest of Times. Hi, I'm Fred Fishkin. Thank you for joining in to watch or listen, and we hope you're staying safe and well. This is a live and we expect lively debate pitting Princeton University Professor Alan Kornhauser against Silicon Valley Mobility Managing Director Sven Biker. Those of you who registered early enough on Zoom will be able to participate along with an amazing group of sharks, including Jim Scheinman, founding managing partner of Maven Ventures, Jane Lappin, recently retired from Toyota Research Institute, co-chair of the Automated Vehicle Symposium, Brad Templeton, digital age pioneer, author, and self-driving car consultant, and Michael Senna, also a well-known consultant and editor of the Dispatcher newsletter. And our moderator to kick things off is Compass Transportation and Technology President and Founder, Dick Mudge. Dick? Uh, thank you, Fred. I'll run quickly through the schedule today. Um, we'll have a 10-minute debate between Sven and Alan. They'll have four minutes of rebuttal. Uh, then we'll have 20 minutes or so of debate among the sharks. Uh, we'll have 20 minutes or so for Q&A from the audience. Uh, there's a Q&A button uh, at the bottom. Please uh, type into that and, uh, and, and uh, give us your questions. Uh, we'll pick the, the questions we pick will be uh, um, uh, arbitrary, but not random. Uh, if things go on a long time, we will uh, be willing to stay on afterwards. Uh, the only thing I'll say is we stay beyond an hour. Uh, we have to pay the sharks time and a half. Um, luckily, uh, none of the sharks are members of a union, so we should be okay. Uh, shall we start the debate now? Sven? Sounds good. Absolutely. Uh, just a technical note, YouTube doesn't seem to have gone up, so uh, someone might want to look at that. You want to fix that while I get started, or what? Or do we want to wait? Yeah. Yeah. All right, good. Um, well, let me start with this. I would have a hard time calling anything the best that is related to COVID-19. I rather want to say that my thoughts really go out to those who suffer hardship, and I hope we will get through this at some point. With that in mind, I want to make clear that these are for sure very difficult times. Those who know me realize that I would never use terms like age of foolishness, a park of incredulity, or season of darkness. Therefore, you also realize I did not write the invitation. In fact, it was not checked with me, but at least the website got corrected, at least something. And still, those who know me also know that I tend to stay away from anything good or bad thinking. Because I've come to realize those don't work. The world isn't one-dimensional, described by two endpoints. Thankfully, the world is multidimensional, which, however, it makes it also tough to navigate. In that context, these are less happy times right now, which is why I will share some cautious rather than glorious thoughts. Well, we've been promised a lot. Take those 2016 announcements, the big frenzy just four years ago. Apple's car expected to launch by 2021 with self-driving features. BMW, Intel, and Mobileye to bring fully autonomous driving to streets by 2021. 
Ford will have a fleet of self-driving taxis in public by 2021. Nissan will have autonomous cars in urban conditions in 2020. And comma AIs, I think this is what Brad showed earlier as a backdrop, comma AIs 999 autonomous driving add-on was supposed to be shipped by December 2016. And also in 2016, Tesla launched all new cars with full self-drive hardware. Well, I mean, this current situation should be perfect time for AVs. No one on the road, people stay away from other people, home delivery being the solution for everything. But where are those AVs? They had 10 years to prepare for this. The auto industry would have developed two completely new generations of vehicles in that time and still be bashed for it because they are so slow. Hey, smart home delivery robots, where are you? I keep sitting by my window out here in Palo Alto, but I haven't seen a single one. The closest I have seen was a kid with a remote controlled race car. That actually reminds me of my younger self in April 1986 right after Chernobyl. People had over 30 years to bring automated vehicles to the road. So this could have been your best time. But instead, it just might be the toughest of times as the realization is going to be that they don't work as advertised. Or well, how about March 2011 after Fukushima? We had quite some time to prepare for today. Or well, how about those wildfires here in California? Or how long has the big one been overdue here in California? And before we go into the debate, I want to emphasize that this should not only focus on the current pandemic and be something like, we are all deer in the headlight. We could observe already throughout last year, so in 2019, that the tide was beginning to shift. And as someone earlier put it this year, the days of burning cash in parking lots are over. So let's dig a little bit deeper into the headlines from just the last 12 months. And by the way, Tesla's autonomy day was just almost exactly 370 days ago when Elon Musk promised 1 million robot taxis on the road by this year. But other headlines from the last 12 months, to have self-driving cars at scale is going to take a long time. Uber in April of last year. We overestimated the arrival of autonomous vehicles, Ford, also in April last year. Apple acquires Drive AI in June of last year. GM Cruise delays its plans to launch in 2019, July last year. Ostarsky Robotics failed just in March of this year. And recently, the leaders of the movement also seemed to join me in my cautioning. The first applications are closed. Ubiquity is further away than most people would believe. John Krafchick, just a little bit over a year ago. And now, what are the headlines today? Coronavirus halts autonomous vehicle testing, VentureBeat. Number of startup layoffs surpassed 20,000 amid COVID-19 pandemic, Crunchbase. Founders, executives, and analysts, and analysts agree that self-driving car companies are in for a bumpy ride. Bloomberg just last week. What more do you need? Doesn't this sound like the best of all times? Sounds pretty tough to me. Speaking of the best of all times, it's about time to give Alan his chit shot. 
All right, let's go, Alan. I call this the tough times ahead. Well, Sven, um, yes, I guess, uh, you know, you've made your points, although um, I sort of uh, kind of like Ben Franklin, um, out of adversity comes opportunity. And in fact, um, basically prefer to look at the silver lining that all this offers. And as you know, I prefer to call these things uh, smart driving cars because I don't like any of these. And, and you comment about ubiquity. I mean, whoever threw that out there, it, we're not ubiquitous in the human driven cars that we have today, even though the advertisements from the car manufacturers make it out to seem that we can drive them down uh, this creek or in 18 feet of snow or whatever when they try to sell these things to us. But in fact, uh, what we have is, is really two different classes of vehicles that we're dealing with in this automation. And in these classes of the vehicles, they really separate out uh, between those that require a competent and attentive driver and those that don't or don't even want one or prefer not to have one. These are two very different entities. And I think that what this pause in all the economy that, 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 is, that we're uh, uh, into these days allows us a way to step back and take a look at how do we make both of these things flourish the best. In the first, the one that requires us to be competent and attentive, the foremost and important aspect of that is safety. The objective is the improvement of safety. Why? Because the competent and attentive driver, it's not that they're not competent or not attentive, but at times they aren't attentive and they're human and they're human and what that human aspect leads is to misbehavior by them. And we're finally seeing that we want to develop this technology to basically be a, a, a safety aspect that keep us, in case we misbehave, from getting between the rock and the hard place. The purpose of this technology ends up to be to save the day when we misbehave as drivers. And I believe the OEMs have been stepping up to finally seeing this, to moving beyond capabilities of just advice to actually have systems operating in the background that will take over uh, and, and save the day. Uh, some of the videos that have come out from Tesla to me are really very impressive, where in fact, autopilot isn't on explicitly by the driver, but is running in the background and kicks in and ends up saving the day, which is really where this technology needs to be. It's finally maybe a realization by at least one, if not the rest of the OEMs, that in fact, the person, the driver, that human driver isn't so sacrosanct and always knows the right answer that in fact, the, the opportunity to have this as a, a backup to them is really good. Not selling many cars these days. This gives the OEMs an opportunity that when they crank up their, their assembly lines again after this is over, that in fact they'll be able to put in there the better software, the better hardware that will allow these vehicles to actually deliver the maximum safety objective out of that. And that in fact, this is an enormous opportunity for them to do that. 
What they've also had is the opportunity to continue to develop these things. You say, hey, there's no testing out there. My goodness, where's the, where's the biggest challenge of these? It's in the software. Guess what? The gals and the guys that are writing the code, they have nothing else to do these days but write code. Guess what they're doing? They're writing code like it's going out of style. And in fact, they don't need to be out there on the roads because they've developed simulation software and that sit there and really test this stuff. And in fact, many of the developers have developed so-called aversion at this point. What they need to do is have the opportunity to go to the next version. This gives them sort of a, a, a pause where, where people like Jim aren't just pounding on them to get the damn thing out. That in fact, now they have the opportunity to go from version X to version X plus one. That is, oh my goodness, all of a sudden, that, that means that what's coming out is even better, is, is going to actually be able to deal with the safety. The other piece of this technology is the other one, where in fact, you don't want the human in the loop. The, in fact, it's to get the human the heck out of the loop because the human's the problem. That's the driverless piece. Unfortunately, where we were headed in the driverless piece was this some vision of providing mobility to those that already have too many ways to get from A to B. Give them another option and so on. My goodness, that's not the people that can benefit from that. It's the people that have really been been marginalized or really have mobility or the mobility disadvantaged. Those are the people that need this mobility. And in fact, if one looks at that mobility disadvantage, who are they? They're, of course, the people that are physically and mentally challenged. Absolutely, they need that. That's a good time to let Sven. Well, I can't go on and finish. Okay, uh, what did I end my five minutes? Damn it. Oh, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll jump in. But let me mention, just finish up that sentence. It's all, it's more, it's more importantly, the people who chose either for whatever reason to not drive their personal car. And that is includes the young, the 10 to 17 who aren't permitted, the old who have decided they shouldn't be doing it. And of course the poor. And that's the big one. And in fact, providing, taking these mobility machines that can just go out there and provide mobility to those folks. That's the important piece that we can get to once this pandemic is over. Uh, you lose one minute on your rebuttal and it oh, keeps going. <laughs> assuming I can stop. Sven, sorry. All right, no, no, no worries, Alan. I, I think we actually agree on, on quite a few things. Well, of course one we agree. Is, <laughs> one is that these people have a clock that's running faster than our clocks that we use in order to rehearse this because five minutes went by just like this. We also agree on a number of things, how important safety is. And Alan, with all due respect, your speech you just gave, you could have given five years ago, eight years ago. So you laid out in a very nice and concise way all the advantages of autonomous, of autonomous vehicles that we've been promised by various people over and over again. And I guess you and I, we've also been part of that movement. So that's good. But I, I really want to disagree with you when you talked about the software developers. For one, they might be watching Netflix or something like this and they employ us just so now. But I find it, Alan, if you allow, dangerous to say they don't need to be out there. 
because in the last 10 years, and I say this as someone who's always also well, well connected with an academic activities, it is dangerous if the development of autonomous vehicles happens really in a, in a, in a room without realizing what traffic actually is. And traffic, and maybe that's an interesting picture here to talk to sharks as well, it's not like who survives. It's a collaborative effort. And therefore just does not only need software, it needs infrastructure. And just we have not been able to develop the infrastructure that goes in order to quote Elon Musk actually all the way from purposely well painted lane markings all the way in my mind to communication infrastructure. We don't have this. So therefore for the foreseeable future, completely driverless vehicles, as Alan pointed out, will I think be a thing of the future. I think if we build infrastructure for it, and if we maybe consider um, teleoperation, which more and more companies are working on, you might've talked about this, that's a thing from the last two or three years, getting more attention, we might get there. But other than that, I think it's too theoretical and therefore um, we will have an even nicer debate here in practice. So what can you say, Alan, when, when, he, when he leads off and says the two of you agree? Well, uh, I, I say we agree on most of it, and, and absolutely, uh, safety, what I didn't get to say earlier is that with a driverless vehicle, the objective is not safety. Safety is a necessary condition. It's a floor. If we are not better, if we're not safe, and what is the definition of safety? It's the perception of safety. It's the fact that people in the neighborhoods will allow these vehicles to operate in their neighborhoods. It's the fact that people will be willing to get in them and take a ride. It's the fact that people will be willing to pay whatever it is to do that. That's the definition of safety. It's not something that in fact, you know, some of the government is gonna bring down and put on us. No, this thing, if it's gonna scale, it has to scale in the marketplace. It has to be accepted in the marketplace. And it has to deliver the value to that marketplace that, in fact, says, yes, I want to go out there and use it. In terms of doing it, of course, you need to be out there operating. But all you need to do is operate in the corner cases or find the corner cases. You don't need to run who knows what down some uh, road that has no traffic in it. And of course, why run today? Because there's no traffic out there. It's just not, hey, if your system can't do that, you shouldn't be in this business. The idea is to be out there and doing it. If we require infrastructure, we're dead on arrival. Yeah, okay. absolutely dead on arrival. And the reason why we're dead, in the, and this is why the systems have to be able to do it themselves. The intelligence, if we want to call it intelligence, it really isn't intelligence, but if the intelligence, it, 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 they need to be intelligent enough. We don't want to coordinate them like an orchestra. We aren't coordinated out there like an orchestra and we sit, do pretty well, thank you. I think we need to allow them to be able to out, out there and operate and not require anything more than please just paint. Okay. Why can we ask for paint? Is because I need paint, you need yeah. paint, okay? Okay, so, can we turn, can we, can we jump now, to the Now sharks? we'll get the sharks in no, there. No, 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 no. <laughs> anyway, Brad, Brad, do you have something to say to all this stuff? Well, of course, as, um, as usual, they're both wrong. Uh, no, I, absolutely, actually, I agree. I, 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 they're actually not. They're uh, both. Some of them. They both said valid things and and invalid things. Uh, and Alan, you're quite correct in, in criticizing the idea that testing today is some kind of issue. Obviously, in fact, 
Uh, it's an irony that all of these cars probably could even be delivering safe service today, but nobody sat down a year ago and said, why don't we plan to see what we can do on empty roads? And tell us, Brad, why they are not doing this. Tell us. Well, exactly first of all, it, if non-essential travel has been declared illegal in all the places that they operate, so uh, they don't want to break well, the law. Don't say it's a legal thing again. Well, it is. No, but I mean, it, it is illegal to to be going out and traveling for what's not considered an official uh, essential purpose under the current COVID laws. Um, but it's not very useful. Testing right now would not be very useful. And so they will get back to testing. It is essential to test on the road, uh, as Anna says. By the way, I wanted to, crit uh, to um, actually just contradict something you said about the delivery robots. I realize in Palo Alto, you're not seeing them all the time, but if you get expand your world a bit and go out to Mountain View, very far away from Palo Alto, you'll find that Starship, one of the companies I'm involved with, is doing deliveries constantly from a grocery store there on Castro Street. And we have made over 100,000 deliveries around the world now, and that number is growing and people are going nuts for delivery. So that one's there. The other ones, you seem to be saying, oh, my God, these companies announced dates in 2020 or in 2021, and they didn't deliver. Like, wow, okay, you're shocked. Someone named a date for a, a radical new and almost previously considered impossible technology, and they didn't hit it to the year. And this is a sign to say, oh, my God, things are going terribly. What are we going to do? Um, the reality is, of course, it takes longer than people predict, even when you factor in the rule that it always takes longer than you predict. You add to that the fact that the big auto OEMs, frankly, they were shocked when car companies, or sorry, non-car companies like Google started getting in this game and the, and the automotive press started saying, oh my God, the future of the car is a search engine company. This caused them to say, this is our nightmare. And that's why they started building the projects they built and named the dates that they named so that they could not be seen as being so far behind. They would love for it to happen more slowly. Their industry is going to be disrupted, turned upside down. If you're a big incumbent, the last thing you want is for that to happen at the pace of startups. Uh, you don't want it to happen at all, but if it does happen, you want it to be at your pace. Tell us and about so the, your experience in the automotive industry, Brad. My, in my experience in the automotive industry? Yes. No, no, I'm the outsider. I'm the person who okay. comes But you are talking about it as if you know what they want. Well, I, I talk to them. I talk to them. car behind you, Brad. When you got in the car behind you for the very first time, what was your yeah. expectation? When is it going to be coming to the market? Well, that was back in 2009. And uh, I, uh, uh, you know, Chris Ermson at that time, I, I actually showed him video of this. He didn't like it, but saying 2020, actually, back in 2009. It's been a commonly named date. This is, this is a radical new technology. It's one of the hardest engineering problems uh, that there's been. And I'm not at all surprised that you've seen Gartner's hype cycle. Of course, when something is valuable, it gets hyped even more. It is going to disappoint for a little while, and then it will stop disappointing. Yeah, can, I want, can we switch, switch sharks? Yeah, want, yeah okay. you can switch sharks, or I had some other quick points to make, but I'll get to them afterwards, and let's switch. Yeah, that, that's what I, yeah we're running now. Uh, okay. Jim, you've been in the business. You've actually invested in these guys, companies that are going to make a huge amount of money. What do you think about the market where we are? Are we, are we, are we that far ahead that we shouldn't be taking it seriously? I, I, I think, uh, look, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist when it comes to self-driving cars in, in large part to what Alan was saying earlier, there's, there's so many good reasons why this needs to happen. And, and as, and to Brad's point, this is such hard technology that these dates are going to be wrong. You know, clearly Sven is right also that this is a bump in the road. But actually, let me be very clear. I pity those OEMs that look at this as the death of AV. I mean, this is going to be the death of their business if they don't continue to push forward aggressively. I want to be clear that, you know, at Maven Ventures, we're still investing in AV. We're still investing in 
in this technology um, in these platforms. We've been, you know, we're very fortunate. I was on the board in early investor cruise. I'm a big believer in what they're doing. There's no reason for these companies now, the cruises of the world, the way most to be aggressive on dates anymore. And that's why we're not hearing that. As you know, be clear that they're pushing really hard and aggressive. They just don't need to tell us about it anymore. And so, you know, I think this, that leaves a lot of confusion in the marketplace. It is really important that they do it well and do yeah. it safely. Yeah. Because if we have another trip up like Uber did in Arizona, we're going to be 10 more years at this thing. That's right. And because that's Uber, going to ruin it I for agree. everybody. Uber wasn't ready for that 100%. I went on, on, you know, the record saying like that was horrible that happened and that was Uber's fault. They weren't ready for prime time and that was, and they, they stopped it after. Um, let me just say like, I think this is going to accelerate two things. Uh, one thing that Brad mentioned, the, the non-passenger AV stuff, we had a company called Marble, which kind of pivoted outside, unfortunately, away from that. But Starship and these companies, um, main mobility, one of our businesses in Detroit, doing non-passenger delivery is going to be really, really powerful in the pandemic and post-COVID time. And in the background, you see I put up Embark, one of our company's self-driving trucks. The amount of, of uh, items that are being shipped now, uh, obviously with Amazon going crazy and all, what we have to do is just pushing this technology so that you're going to see more and more advances there much faster. I do agree that one of the um, things that are going to change is around simulation software, virtual testing. I think that you have to have on-street testing and real-life testing, but, but because of where we are, the simulation virtual testing is going to get better. This is going to be one of the massive advantages that we're going to see post-COVID-19. And the last one I want to mention um, is... I, you know, and I think this is potentially really interesting. I'm not an expert in this area, but I think that maybe we'll see more cooperation. Uh, by the way, this is the in, the origin, the cruise origin that I'm driving in now myself. I think <laughs> see more cooperation with um, with public and, and, and private uh, AV transportation, and that actually might be a really good thing. You know, and I think that might actually push this even further along faster. So I see a lot of positives. I do see a, a bump in the road, a little blip. It's going to slow things down temporarily. And then it's going to be a massive increase post uh, pandemic. And again, I pity those OEMs that don't see that. Yeah. Jane, do you have any comments on this? That this is a, a bump in the road to the uh, and glory is coming very quickly? Or, um... Well, well I, I agree with Jim about the work that must be going on now in the background. Um, while the vehicles can't operate on the road, it's a great opportunity <clears throat> to be working in simulation and work through some of the really hard challenges um, without the interruption of going out on the road. But what I'm reflecting on are the comments about infrastructure and the opportunity that infrastructure and leadership from the USDOT could offer to the industry were the DOT to invest in good pilot programs where infrastructure was created and set aside for integrated AV demonstrations. Um, you know, level three is sufficient with the right infrastructure to improve throughput, improve safety, reduce environmental uh, uh, challenges and with USDOT money to measure the impacts and to understand you know, what, what the value is, what the, the, the full value is to society of accelerating the integration of highly automated vehicles where they can be safely segregated. Uh, I must say that's a radical idea. USDOT is a leader in the technology world. 
It's mm -hmm. happened. It happened uh, 20 something years ago. Dick, you oh, and I were evaluating field operational tests when the first uh, navigation devices were coming onto the road. As much as I love Jane, I'm going to have to disagree with that later, uh, but let the other show. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, uh, as much as I love Jane, I'm going to have to disagree with that later, no. but sorry, Jane. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we got some excitement. Michael, but, but Michael. Michael, your turn. Uh, you, got, you have a, your own unique view, and uh, I don't know whether things look different from Sweden. Yeah, as, uh, yeah I'm, I'm coming to you live from, from Sweden, where we have very a very different approach to, uh, to dealing with the COVID-19. I think most of you know that we, we aren't practicing lockdown. Uh, the, our officials are telling us that we're, we're following a, an evidence-based approach. Uh, we'll see whether the evidence points in the right direction or in another direction, but hopefully it will. Also following the guidelines of, of uh, WHO. Um, but this is why our, our health authorities aren't suggesting that we inject ourselves with chlorine and, and uh, ingest Lysol. Um, true scientists and engineers have always followed an evidence-based approach. One area that I feel, and those of you who who followed my my uh, newsletter, the Dispatcher, for the last six years, will uh, will be familiar with this this view. We don't seem to be following an evidence-based approach when it comes to investment in law lawmaking uh, in replacing human drivers with robots. It seems the, the principal problem that we have with, with um, putting robots instead of humans is that they, they solve very few existing problems, but they cause a whole lot of new ones. The two problems that they solve is projecting military force without putting soldiers in the line of fire. That's how all of this started many years ago, 16, 17 years ago. And the other one, which is one of the reasons that people are putting money into companies like, like Uber is that they save the cost of a driver, a taxi driver. Now, I know that the, we've, we have discussed the whole issue of, of safety and safety has been, was used initially as the main reason for taking humans out of the equation and putting robots in there. But if we, if we actually look at the numbers People say we're going to save 95% of the 2 million lives that are lost each year. It's not possible to take a global figure of 2 million deaths and generalize from that number. Of the 2 million vehicle-related deaths that occur globally each year, under 5%, that's 80,000 of those, are in North America and the EU, EU countries. The majority of those deaths, 2 million, are in countries where there are poor roads, poor cars, poor regulations, that are poorly enforced. And the people in those countries are not gonna be able to afford robot chauffeured vehicles in the foreseeable future. That's just not gonna happen. No, Second, right. in the richest countries, in the richest countries, close to 60% of fatal accidents occur on rural roads. 6% of those are on motorways. 30% of road fatalities are caused by alcohol impaired drivers. In Connecticut, 84, 80% of the fatalities are related to drunken driving. We could stop drunken driving tomorrow by simply put, putting alcohol locks on our vehicles. 2% of all fatalities occur from running red lights. We could stop those accidents and those fatalities tomorrow. We can do so many things. We do not need to put robots in vehicles 
to take over from humans. I've said this for the last six years. I'm going to continue to say right. it. Well, well, of course, Michael, I, I disagree with you uh, uh, somewhat vehemently, um, but uh, it was part of sort of what I was saying. The objective of taking people out of cars is not safety. Safety is a necessary condition, not an objective. The objective is providing mobility for those who don't have good mobility now. To me, that's the objective. The people, the, the, the mobility disadvantages, I call them. The people that we can't serve, however much money we throw to New Jersey Transit or whatever. Why? Because those systems have been designed not to go where these people go. So in fact, the, the real value of taking the person out of there is to try to get to an affordable way to provide mobility for the kind of mobility that mobili people need, which happens to be from anywhere to anywhere. It's not down a nice little corridor in which all the glit and all the whatever and all the, the, the rich people live and the rich people work. It's from everywhere to everywhere. And that's the reason to do this is to improve the quality of life of the people that have been left behind because they don't have the mobility. Now, if that's what we focus on and do that and are able to then bring out and, and, and provide that kind of the, the technology to do that, then of course, if anybody else wants to jump on, of course, jump on. We'll charge you a little bit more because we want you to cross subsidize it too and you should pay for it. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that, Anna. I mean, yeah. it's really about turning, it's about turning mobility from a product into a service. It's about selling rides instead of selling cars. And that does enable uh, these people you've just spoken about. And uh, Michael, you're completely wrong. You're like those people who saw uh, that a small hard drive cost $5,000 in 1982 and said, these expensive things will certainly never help low-income people. Uh, technology that's driven by computer technology becomes super cheap on an exponential curve as time goes on. Brad, I think who do you think are driving the buses? Who's driving the buses? I mean, yeah, rich you know, people, people, no, not, people who are working at Google. They're not. They're not driving the bus. The people who are driving the buses in in our where I live. Yeah, I'm the, but that's not. I'm not talking the about bus drivers. I'm talking about people with jobs. If you eliminate a bus driver, you've eliminated a job. That is 50 correct. 50% of the bus, bus drivers. In, machines in, have been replacing humans at their jobs for close to 200 years. 200 years ago, in fact, all but 2% of us worked in agriculture. Machines replaced every single one of those jobs, and it actually turned out okay. But nobody's going to replace a bus driver. I don't, don't want to go down. I don't want to go down the job one. I just still wanna, need bus drivers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go down the job one. I mean, it, it, it's a, a, we could do a whole hour on the job one. But yes, I we could. Yeah, I want to say that the, you both miss it. It isn't, you're right. It is safety is a big, important purpose and helping the poor get rides is a big, important purpose. But mm -hmm. the dramatic changes that come when mobility, which is 25% of the energy we consume in the, the rich countries, 25% of the greenhouse gases, the largest purpose of our cities, when that is changed from product to service. Now, I want to briefly go to what Jane said, though, about infrastructure, because yeah. I, <laughs> completely, <laughs> I completely disagree with that. I believe that the, 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 in fact, the wonderful thing about this technology is, in fact, I've even called it the first law of robocars is you do not change the infrastructure. You drive on the roads you're given, you drive the world you're given, you don't expect the world to change for you to solve this problem. And the reason is software just works on a completely different time scale from infrastructure. With infrastructure, the getting the permits and the approval and the planning and the construction takes so long that almost every time, not every time, but almost every time, the software people will have solved the problem by the time you're getting the trucks rolling to build the infrastructure and you're mostly creating a construction zone that annoys them to build infrastructure they no longer need. So I think 
uh, we should only consider the very few smallest infrastructure plans. If you give me a plan for 2030 today, I can guarantee you that plan is wrong. All right, I don't know why it's wrong, but I can guarantee you that it's wrong. And so the only way to do this in the modern computer controlled world is to expect that you can plan only for 2030 with the knowledge of 2028, not with the knowledge of 2020. And anyone who tries to build infrastructure has to do it with the knowledge of 2020. So. Hey, Brad, I want to add a little bit to your excitement regarding software. Uh, my understanding is, as an engineer, that software and computer programs are great to do something incredibly accurate, incredibly fast, and repeatedly so over and over again. If they are pre-programmed to do that, yeah, that's that's the, the old that's the old man thinking on software like me. You cannot pre-program necessarily all these situations. And this is, again, what I said in my opening statement. It's not a one-dimensional problem where you say you do this and then you get there. It's multidimensional. You don't know really what to expect. And of course we need it is. a hybrid approach of something pre-programmed onto the vehicle. We need the best sensors probably that, that are available. And then we also need some embeddement into the overall system that we call traffic, which is the collaborative yeah. approach. Yeah. Well, we will, do, we will do things, but we'll do them virtually, not physically. So infrastructure that you call virtual infrastructure, maps, networking, uh, cloud services, not cars talking about cars. networking. What do you mean by networking? I mean, that's the ability of data to flow uh, from servers to uh, vehicles. So, and that is infrastructure, right? So we I, well, it's not, it's not, it's virtual infrastructure, as I would call it. That data infrastructure. Well, of course, is, is, I mean, you don't send a letter to a vehicle like, here's my position, here's my speed, and you send a physical letter. Of course, it's virtual. I mean, yeah. we understand that, right? Okay, well, not everybody does. Not everybody does. You go to FHWA and all these other people, they think they're talking about building physical things. I, I don't switch think so. Brad, 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 no, 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 no. You've been following all the DSRC work uh, for a long time as well. And I think we both agree it was not perfect. Let's don't go into details. It, it is certainly something that, that needs to be realized as well. And that it's a huge effort to put this together like a virtual infrastructure, of course. But look, and especially at this times, we are connecting each and everything. We are talking about an app to track a pandemic. We are wearing smartwatches. We are connecting refrigerators and TVs a lot of this to make world safer, potentially, better, hopefully. And the only thing we are not connecting is automobiles. Some of the most dangerous things out there. No, we're going to connect them. That I find uh, surprising. We're going to connect them. It's just the idea of them talking to each other uh, makes computer security people laugh when I tell them that, that, hey, car people think all the cars are going to talk to each other. Uh, they just giggle and at the, at the night. Why, why, why do they laugh? Right? They giggle, why, they why they 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 giggle because they've been Wait working on Wait a minute. Hard. I don't want my no, car no, controlled by Brad some system. I want America I where I'm independent. Why they laugh oh, and don't help make it better. Because, because computer, security, computer security people know that building complex, you know, 2,000 kilograms robots, have them exchange messages with every random other device that they encounter on the street, and making that secure is currently beyond human competence. But they and can well, drive. It doesn't, you that doesn't, but, but those same robots can drive. In 2020, <laughs> maybe, but maybe works in 2025, and now you can dig out your old hardware problem yeah. from 1998. The, the reason yeah. the computer security Brad, people Brad, laugh is they don't, they don't. Brad, let's yeah, let Michael, Michael jump back. I'll just Come answer on. Sven's question. The reason they <laughs> laugh is they would love to see it possible to make computers more secure, but they don't believe it's the car engineers who are going to be the ones to solve this problem that everyone is working really hard on and has been for decades. Yeah. They yeah, hope yeah, it will we, be solved we, someday. We need Brad, you know, you know who's laughing most? 
you know who's laughing most? I, I just saw today I saw a, a, a report by JD Power, and I think we know JD Power is evidence based. They think the people who are laughing are, are the people who are buying cars. It's the the they said, frankly, we're concerned for automakers. They're pushing forward with technology that consumers seem to have little or no interest in, nor are they making strides to needed to change people's minds. Especially now, automakers need to reevaluate it where they're spending money. They're investing billions in these technologies, but they need also to invest in educating consumers. Lack of knowledge is a huge roadblock for future adoption. They don't, they don't know what driverless cars is, and they don't care. Mm -hmm. They don't want a driverless car. They don't care. They don't want even electric cars. They don't want these things. To misquote Henry Ford, they, uh, they, Henry they, Ford they, never said, but it's a great phrase, that they, if I'd asked them what they wanted, they would have wanted a car. Please a don't Here. quote Henry Ford. I'm misquoting him. I'm misquoting him. <laughs> but I believe that statement is true. Let's move on, and, and then maybe uh, uh, I mean, we could go on on this for a long time. But we've got a number of people who may want to hear other people. Jane, do you have any other comments about... USDOT leading the charge. Yeah, in infrastructure. No, I think that USDOT is missing an important leadership opportunity. I wouldn't argue that they make any expensive alterations in infrastructure. I think that dedicated lanes in critical areas, dedicated regions in, in, in certain cities would allow automakers, the tech companies, the general public to understand better how these vehicles can integrate into our lives, what the criteria are, for safe operations, legal issues, and it helps to educate general consumers about why they might want one of these vehicles to provide mobility services to them in the future. So back to the USDOT stepping forward alongside the tech companies and leading according to the legislation that authorizes the DOT to invest in pilots and evaluations to inform us all. Yeah. Uh, before we you know, turn to Q&A, Jim, do you want to have a last word among the sharks? I'm did, curious, no, uh, Michael said something point. about, if we're really curious, serious yeah. about safety, autonomous vehicles is not the way to go. Yeah, uh, they were I, talking I, about no, I'll, I'll just answer from, I guess, a classic Silicon Valley early stage tech investor. When we see new technologies that are potentially frightening or very confusing, or we just don't understand, the human nature is just to say, I don't, I don't know, I don't want it. Now, I'll give an example of some completely outside of AV. I was involved in the very first social network before Facebook and all the stuff we see now called Friendster. And I was in my late 20s, early 30s at the time. And I told my friends, you're gonna love this thing. You're all gonna put a picture of yourself on the internet you're going to put photos of your kids and all your information. You're going to use it all the time to stay in touch with me. I was in the West Coast, they were in the East Coast, and they looked at me like, are you crazy? I will never, ever do that. People are going to steal my kids and come into my house and rob me when I'm like, and like, my point is, I think it's the same kind of, by the way, same thing with Uber, Airbnb, the list goes on and on. My point with when I said earlier, and Alan made this point too, there are a dozen reasons why we are going to help have self-driving cars from safety to helping people who can drive to being more affordable. Right now, the most expensive product we purchase often is our car that sits idle for 98% of the time. I mean, they're just pollution. Think about all the reasons why this makes sense. We are going to get there and this is why this is going to be widely adopted in our lifetime. And I did not sure. disagree with the point that we we're going to get there to make this clear, right? <laughs> so I only think it's going to get tougher. 
And I never, I never said that the automotive OEMs basically proclaim the death of the AV. Thank it's you, Sven. See that I won. Coming <laughs> already. I saw it coming already last year. I think it's it's going to be tough, but it's going to be exciting. It is exciting. They uh, have scaled exciting. back their teams, though. Dick. Yeah, let, let, let me let me attempt to go to move what to the Q and A. We can have this back as well. We can have this conversation for a long time. We have a bunch of questions and answers. Uh, questions. Um, one of them comes from Doug Rubin, who talks about uh, he's sold on what AV can do, uh, but he says we're, we're waiting. And he talks about challenges, whether well, it's technology, finance, cultural, but then says he thinks the biggest challenge is regulatory. Are you guys worried about that? Is that the biggest challenge out there? So no, I because most not. of them is and I, I think the regulation that we see for now for especially testing of automated vehicles, um, I think that's being developed alongside with the technology progress. And um, I also see that there are some executive orders, namely, for instance, in Phoenix, will say, well, that seems to be all right. Let's do it. Let's see how it goes. So regulation is not a concern in my mind. I think it's, uh, I agree with Sven on that one. I think most of the regulators, most of the regulators have been sitting on the sideline. Uh, they've let us uh, do pretty much what we want to do. I've argued that, that Uber lost $60 billion because they screwed up with one thing. There is such pressure on everybody doing this that it be done right because anybody that's in there has the ranch on the table and they can lose the ranch if they screw this one up. And so in a sense, we don't need you know, public sector looking. We should be going together with the public sector working hand in hand to make this happen for the right reasons. And I've explained what the right reasons are. We need to create a welcoming environment out there so that the public is willing to go along with us on this technology. Yeah, the biggest I, problem I is not the regulation, Jane. I would say that there's a lot of concern around level level one, two, and three, where the human driver is tuning out of the driving task and degrading safety as a result. But in my experience working with regulators over the last several years, they're listening very carefully um, and they're trying not to get ahead of the technology. Go ahead, Brad. Which is very yeah, good. Uh, the, the biggest problem isn't the regulation. It is actually the internal QA thing, the proving to yourself. The companies have to prove to themselves that they've made a product safe enough that they can take the risk of deploying it on the roads. And there is anyone who has named a date to Sven or any of us has known they were lying because there's not a date that this is ready. The time this ships is the day that that proof has been done. You've proved to your lawyers, you've proved to yourselves, and eventually to the public and to the governments that you've made it safe enough. And that's the real thing. The American regulators have actually been quite enlightened. I'm not sure that's been as true in Europe and in certain other places, but there's going to be jurisdictional competition around the world and that will uh, deal with these regulatory yeah. questions. Yeah, I just want to yeah. add, I, I, I think I'm actually surprised at how quickly the regulators are supporting this technology. And I, I was thinking a lot about it. And uh, the truth is, the regulators also have kids that are drinking and driving and getting hurt or killed. And they also are facing the same issues that we all are. I want understand the reasons why this technology needs to be on the roads today and quickly. And that's why they're in favor of this. Yeah, I have to admit, I'm, I'm impressed. So far, regulators have not screwed up. So that's nice to see. By the way, go to another question here. Um, uh, and just quickly to Brad's point, Europe is not a monolithic. There are tremendous differences between the way the different regions are approaching it. I know. Different countries, you mean? Uh, I, I'm an EU citizen as well. Let me ask another question, Doug. 
This comes from, from Steve Lockwood. People talked before, you look at Starsky robots, robotics that failed and they had a long thing about it wasn't their fault. Um, you look at all the issues about uh, uh, AI uh, and machine learning. Um, are we really getting close to where we can have an AV that's equal to a human driver? Or, or, or do we need to wait a while? It depends on where you live. If you, if you live in, in uh, you know, in, in Phoenix, uh, there are people, of course, uh, it's a very limited pilot, but there are people who are riding every day in these in vehicles that don't even have everyone in them, uh, anyone in them when they pick them up. Cruise, of course, promised this in the past and has been a little bit late with it, but may eventually deliver that. Um, it's not going to happen around the world at once. It's not like someone sells an electric car, you can buy it and take it to any place in the world. It's going to happen city by city. And so there are going to be places in 2030 where you've still never seen one. And there'll be other places in 2030 where people are riding them every day. So I think yeah, it's also what, I mean. what I've been saying for over 10 years now. So the question is not when, but where. So I guess we agree on that. So yeah, no, I, I've said the same Central thing. Central Jersey long. is where. Come to Trenton. We want you. We yeah. have a lot of good people who could really use you. Yeah. Well, actually, I think there'll be highway uh, self-drive everywhere, but that's much more limited in use. Yeah, but uh, you know, that's for that's for you, Brad. That already has too many ways to get from A to B. That you know, that's so. The, again, the, the question is not not when it's where. Yeah, Correct. I also think it's we have. To, I think I just want to caution that sometimes you know, right now, people are using Starsky as an example of AV failure and going the wrong way. I just want to point out that. In my opinion, Starsky's strategy was never truly AV. It was very different. I don't want to get the details of, but I think part of the reason why maybe it didn't succeed was because it really wasn't going after full AV like its competitors. It was very, very different product. So I, just, I don't, I don't like using that one as the example. Yeah, oh, no, we should not talk about individual yeah. companies. I mean, but it would be, it would be shocking if companies were not dying, right? I mean, it would be shocking if there weren't a few falling by the wayside. But none, none of these car, none of these companies are succeeding. None of them have a product. None of them are selling anything. They're they're still in development. So well, Starship, we have a we have a product at Starship. Embark is selling uh, and doing great. Okay, self-driving trucks uh, are selling and, and yeah. making money. So, sorry, where? Embark self-driving trucks. Uh huh. We are still at the very beginning. At the very beginning. You know, we, beginning. If, it's, if, if we mimic ourselves to the auto industry, we're not. We're still in the eighteen hundreds. Okay, and if if the Daimler if the Daimler patent is the start in eighteen eighty six, we aren't to nineteen hundred yet in this. Okay, no. we haven't seen Henry Ford yet. Okay, yeah. my view. Uh, hey, I'm going to tell you what. Who in my mind actually has had the best forecasts and predictions? That actually is Elon Musk, and he said in twenty thirteen that within three years most of the driving might be automated. And boom, there was autopilot. You can say many things, but they got some things right. Yeah. Hey, uh, Tesla's done a great job, my opinion, for yeah. when you have a person in the loop. They aren't good yeah. enough to take a person out of the loop. He needs to be careful to, and make sure that people are paying attention and so on. But you, my opinion, you look at that system and what it's done, and I wish he would release the damn data so that, in fact, people could prove that, in fact, these things have, have substantially enhanced safety of the people that use them. I think it would do him a lot of good, but, you know, that's his call. So my, my, my point is one needs to be careful with these forecasts, obviously. Yeah. By the way, Google has never given a date when they might have won. 
but uh, let me change the thing to see what has been announced and actually what we've gotten and some of it has worked out. Uh, I, I do policy and I do economics. Uh, one of the questions I guess is stimulated by what Alan said and said it's great to be talking about how autonomous vehicles are going to help lower income and disadvantaged people. Uh, but how, how is that going to happen when the companies who are building these things are all for profit? Well, because why, you why can make money at it. To that market. Because if in fact you can put the if put the service out there at uh, less than fifty cents a, a, a vehicle mile, hey, get to an average vehicle occupancy of two, and you're at twenty five cents per passenger mile, and make it you know throw another ten cents in there for profit. That that's where the money gets made, and and we have to get and because this is Moore's law, I think that the software and the technology is going to the cost of those things goes to zero. Okay, and now you've got to worry about the wheels and the electricity and stuff like that. You know, you can do that for well, fifty well, cents well a vehicle Alan. mile. I'm, 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 I'm not an economist, but explain this to me. Let's just assume for the moment that a bus driver or an Uber driver are maybe not the highest income people on the planet. Let's just assume this for a moment, okay? They're not. They're working for free. They're, they're slaves. So you take their job away, but you tell them you get to your not job cheaper now. That is like very similar to like in your latest blog, like negative oil price. So there are some things that just don't add up. I've surveyed people, Sven, we're getting into jobs again and asked how many people dreamed of being a cab driver when they grew up and very few people put up their hands. Uh, Uber driver is not a, a career. It is something that, oh, hey, I can do it piece by piece, hours go, I make some money when I do it, I can pick my own hours. And so there's a lot of people who go for it, but it's not a career. Yeah, Brett, I will not brush it off because um, I think we need to open up our aperture here a little bit. With all this AI and connectivity and software and ubiquity and whatnot, not just in the transportation sector and everything. So what is happening with automation and autonomous and AI is not just in transportation. So we need to think a little bit broader and it shows us again, we are not just talking about a shoebox on wheel it's really all these impacts on economies and societies and much broader scale. So no, I, I do there agree with that. I think I'm trying to stay away. Go ahead. There are millions of people, millions of people who are involved in the car industry. There are, there are lots of taxi drivers yep. who, who actually spend their lives as taxi drivers. My father-in-law. I don't dispute it. Yes, but it's a job. It's they, a profession. They, it's, they, not, it's not like you say, well, it's not a career. It, for many people, it is a career. That's what they do. But they, they, they serve an infinitesimal percentage of the trips, and they will always serve those. Sorry. They don't lose their jobs. The people that we unemploy are us, and the and the and the trips that we provide are new mobility trips for people. This increases mobility. This Th that's the value. Not to you know, Americans. Yeah, my calculation is Americans. Scale. Americans spend fifty billion hours every year doing this. Fifty billion <laughs> hours. The entire productive labor output of the United States is two hundred and forty billion hours, and we take fifty billion and use it turning steering wheels. And you're saying, but we don't want to fix that because we we, we worry about the the one million people who drive cabs for a living uh, having to find other jobs. I mean, that, I, that's, that's I, think we align, I think if we align, I think if we align our time horizon. 
for the job right. expectations with our expectations for when we see fully automated vehicles, we'll understand that we've got a good long ramp ahead of us to adjust yeah. the way we train people. And for these entrepreneurs who operate taxi cabs as small businesses to adjust and pivot and train and develop new businesses. Uh, back to the question that was asked to begin with about policy solutions versus business solutions. We've got great entrepreneurial opportunities to develop small businesses, to meet the mobility needs of people who live in underserved areas. Yeah, a, a great uh, um, analog to that, by the way, is about Uber. One group of people who love Uber uh, in New York are black people. Why do they love it? Because cabs never used to pick them up. Cabs would drive right by them and not pick them up. Uber always picks them up. Now, Uber wasn't out there trying to solve the problem of discrimination against black people in getting cab rides, but they solved it just because they wanted to make a business that would sell as many rides as they could. So there are ways in which profit-motivated companies will end up serving the problems of society uh, without necessarily having set out to do it. Now, let me ask Jim one, one more question. We might be getting at time. I think this is where we need to see it. It's not just two dots that we somehow connect and then extrapolate and then we know where we are going. So this is really, it's transportation. It has so massive impacts on each and everything. And again, it's going to be tough to figure it out. And I foresee it might be getting tougher for the next few years, but uh, we will figure it out somehow. Let's do it all together with the sharks. I've got one, one related question to Jim. Uh, when you guys got Embark started, is your purpose to get uh, truck drivers uh, out of work, or is there some other economic force that's driving it? Yeah, well, that that is, uh, I think that's an inappropriate way to ask. Uh, the, I mean, I know what they're getting at. So look, here's here's the deal. Um, first of all, actually, a very interesting story about Embark. It started out as a very different business. The the, the two founders, very young, dropouts from Waterloo went into Y Combinator, we partnered with them, and we were launching this sort of golf cart, uh, self-driving golf cart system for you know retirement communities and other small communities. Didn't love the business, and when they got out of YC, I sat down with them, really, really bright young guys, and I said, look, don't love this business. What else do you think you, know, you could do? What are you interested in? And they came up, they said, you know, we were sitting on, on the side of the freeway getting over to Y Combinator, a car broke down, and, um, and we noticed all these trucks going by with help wanted, help wanted, help wanted. And they're like, we could solve that problem with technology. We're building these robotic AV systems that can make these, these trucks self-driving and we could solve a problem for the industry. And wait, I think it's a good business idea. And this is kind of where it all evolved from. And you know, the truth is there are anywhere from you know, half a million to a million truck driving, long haul truck driving job postings available. It's a very, very challenging job. On the one hand, it's a good job to get people into the middle class, I get it, who maybe haven't graduated from college. On the other hand, most of the people in industry don't want to necessarily be in that industry. They still want to be driving trucks. So Embark's solution is to do the long haul and, and let people still be truck drivers in their local community so they can be home with their family that night. It's not going to get rid of all truck jobs. In fact, it may create even more the kind of jobs they want. So I look at this as technology solving a massive problem, a trillion dollar market opportunity, and helping people still do the jobs they love to do, because we're not going to be doing these truck uh, AVs within cities. So hopefully that helps answer some of the questions. But Jim, Embark's technology also, even if you don't take the truck driver out of there, so improves the work environment for a truck driver that it delivers so much value to that long haul industry. Can you imagine being in a job 
10 hours a day, you don't pay attention for a nanosecond, you die. The pressure on those people, the, 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 the truck driving is such a tough jobs. They need help. They need help to improve their work environment. This, this, this fundamentally, even if you don't take them out, the value that you provide in there, and in fact, the regulators should take a look at that and say, hey, we'll give you another hour of, of, of runtime so you can even better feed your family. You'll be less stressed. You'll have a better work condition and all that. And we don't even have to take the person out of there. To give some evidence-based data that Michael likes, uh, the turnover in the trucking driver, truck driver industry in many years is over 100%. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah. it's... Uh, well, another evidence-based, 38 states in the United States, truck driving is the number one job. It used yeah. to be secretaries. Actually, entrepreneur is the number one job. It's just not grouped uh, as one that, thing. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of truck drivers are entrepreneurs because they're, they're out there driving themselves, you know. They're so. self, that's right. They're self, self-employed. Self yeah. well, we're, we're at the one-hour time limit. Uh, this could go on. Oh, no, already. I don't know. Uh, before I turn it over to Fred, Allen, did you have any comments you want to make since you're a, 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 one of the uh, people behind this as well? Well, I, I think um, I think one. I want to thank everybody here on on the panel for joining in with with this thing that Dick and I sort of put together. Uh, this was a first time uh, try at this. Uh, the response from uh, I guess the marketplace people out there, people apparently uh, wanted to, wanted to, to to come in. There's still uh, you know 139, 140 people out there. Who knows how many on YouTube. Uh, we thank everybody for joining in. We tried to make this uh, somewhat interactive. I don't think we uh, succeeded extremely well. We, uh, I think, got to three questions, uh, and it's a shame. Um, but Dick um, uh, and everybody here, uh, this is a prelim to uh, the um, uh, Automated Vehicle Symposium still scheduled for Detroit. Jane's still no, trying. San Diego. I mean, uh, Detroit, San Diego. San Diego, sorry, yes. Uh, it doesn't Jane matter what city it's scheduled for because it ain't happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jane's still trying to make it happen there. Uh, we don't know. We need more evidence-based uh, information to make proper decisions going forward. Uh, but, um, hey, I've had a great time. Yeah. I hope everybody else has had a great time, Dick. Yeah. Fred, do you want to officially close it out? Absolutely. Wow. Uh, this has been really terrific. Uh, this has been the driverless new normal, the best of times or the toughest of times. We hope you've enjoyed the debate. We have much more being planned, and so we'd love to get your thoughts about the topics and participants. We've been watching all of the comments. We wish we'd been able to get to so many more, but uh, they're going to stay up there. You can find us at zoom-tank.com and on smartdrivingcar.com. Don't forget the automated vehicle symposium that was just mentioned, still slated. Keep our fingers crossed for the end of July in San Diego. <laughs> the info for that is at automated vehiclessymposium.org. Thank you for and, taking uh, part. We hope you stay healthy and safe. 